well, as I mentioned, our topic tonight is worship. What is worship? We're going to talk about that this evening. Well, worship, it's what we as Christians do. But I have a question for you. Do Muslims, do they worship? What do you think? Yes or no? Yes, probably. A few yeses? Yeah, they worship. How about Mormons? Do they worship? Yes? All right. How about atheists, secular atheists? Do they worship? They do, don't they? Worship, we all do it. Worship, it's natural. You don't like will yourself to do it. You willingly worship. In other words, we were made as God's creatures in creation to worship. We were made to worship. I think that's somewhat an observable fact. It's confirmed in Scripture. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But as human beings, men and women, young and old, we all have a desire to seek, to find ourselves, even to lose ourselves in that which is, this is a big word, that which is transcendent. You ever heard that word before? Transcendent. In other words, that which is bigger and greater than ourselves. That which is beyond the ordinary. We all desire that. We all seek it in some way. In biblical language, this idea of transcendence is captured in the word glory. Remember that word? We talked about it for those with the Alive Conference this past summer, right? We were made... We are to live for something bigger. What's that bigger? Well, it's God and his glory. So we were made for that. It's how God designed us. He constructed us to live and to delight in that which is greater than ourselves. It was several years ago that I was at a conference that John Piper spoke at. And in his message, he referenced a commercial It was an advertising campaign by Nature Valley Trail Mix. You ever had that before? I'm talking about Trail Mix. I don't know if they make granola bars as well. Kind of healthy stuff, you know? Well, anyway, here was a company that was tapping into this transcendental reality, okay? Or transcendent reality. Let me explain. This company wasn't doing it to connect people to God, but they were doing this commercial or ad campaign to connect them to their own products. All right? But what the company was expounding on was frankly astounding. It was so profound that John Piper mentioned it in his sermon, his message, and did a double take. And it caused me to want to find this ad, this commercial. Well, I was looking for it, and lo and behold, Ressy Manahan, you know her? Well, she found this ad campaign. She found the actual advertisement or advertisement, laminated it and gave it to me. And I want to show it to you this evening for you to see. I'll explain it to you if you're back there and you cannot see it. But here it is, laminated right here. What you got is a picture here of two mountain climbers on top of a rock outcropping overlooking a beautiful valley and lake. I don't know if it's sunset, maybe it's sunrise, 
And you can barely see on the tip of this rock here are two individuals. One who has outstretched arms, presumably outstretched to the sun, the setting sun. And they're overlooking this beautiful, majestic landscape. But what I want you to hear and see is what is above the photo that was part of the ad campaign. It said this. This is from Nature Valley Trail Mix. You've never felt more alive. You've never felt more insignificant. What is that here? Never felt more alive, and you've never felt more insignificant. You've never felt smaller than a time like this. Here are these individuals. They're overlooking this incredible man, incredible landscape. And they realize how small they are, how insignificant that they are, that what they're beholding is truly breathtaking. And they feel alive, but insignificant. In other words, they are encountering a transcendent reality, something bigger, more majestic than themselves. And they are in awe. They feel alive, and yet they're aware of how small they are in reality to the grandness and grandeur of the scene around them. Maybe you've experienced this. I know I have, but I love climbing mountains and such. But maybe for you, it's not like you've experienced this feeling of being alive and insignificant through rock climbing or mountain climbing. Maybe it's been attending a concert and hearing the music. It was a transcendent experience involving something that's almost grander and larger than yourself. Maybe it's a sporting event you went to. It's a packed stadium with frenzied fans. You feel alive. You are part of something so much bigger than just you. Maybe it's watching a movie, maybe a sci-fi movie, which you were lost in. Something so much, just, it just engaged your imagination. You became lost in it. The world became so much bigger and you were there. Can you relate? Maybe it's hearing a classically trained pianist. Maybe it's going to a car show. Maybe it's reading a fantasy book or a trilogy. It's in these moments where we truly delight and we experience exhilaration. And paradoxically, it comes from beholding that which is bigger, grander, more transcendent, that it's beyond ourselves. I want to suggest tonight that that is the essence of worship. It's delighting in giving yourself to something so much bigger than yourself, that which we find glorious. You see, we're all worshipers, every one of you. Whether you're a non-Christian or a Christian, you are a worshiper. And you know what? Sin doesn't change that. It doesn't. We read these words in Romans 1.24 which describe the consequence of sin. I want you to hear these fascinating words. This is Apostle Paul writing in Romans 1.24. It says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And catch this, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
Amen. Did you catch the exchange here? The truth about God, who he is, and who he's revealed himself to be, was exchanged for a lie. And what else happened? With the coming of sin and the depravity of man and our sinfulness, they worshipped the creature rather than the creator. Instead of worshipping creator God, they worshipped that which God had created, creation, or the creature. You see, with the entrance of sin into the world, worship didn't cease. Just the object of our worship changed from worshiping God to worshiping that which he has made, creation. You see, there's only two options when it comes to worship. Only two options. You worship the creator God, or you worship what? Creation. What he has created. It's one or the other. It's God the creator, or it's his creation. Those are the two options. It's really as simple as that. But only one way, only one type of worship is truly biblical worship. Only one. Only one. We see it in the very first commandment of the Decalogue, or Ten Commandments, that which we're going through now in our Sunday Bible 45 service. In Exodus 23, 20 verse 3, we read this. You shall have no other gods before you. Right? In other words, God is saying, it's me, God, capital G, or it's the gods, okay? Lowercase g. You worship me as God and creator, or you worship these so-called gods that are really simply a product of our own making, creation. It's one or the other. Now, our worship may not entail, as I think you know, bowing down to idols. We can worship gods and not necessarily bow down to them physically as they did in the days past, right? But we can bow down to the idols of our own making. These gods, lowercase g, we can do it. I suggest we do it more often than we think. When we give ourselves and we seek ultimate pleasure and satisfaction and joy in that which is created rather than the creator himself. We all seek it. We all seek delight and joy, happiness in something or someone. So the question is, are you going to seek it in God? Or are you going to seek it elsewhere? In his creation, his creatures. It's one or the other. Some seek it in yoga. Some seek it in transcendental, there's that word again, transcendental meditation. Ever heard of that? Yeah. Some seek this delight and joy in sex or sexual images. Some seek this delight and joy in music or the arts. Or maybe it's not even just the music itself. It's just the celebrities, you know, that we tend to worship in our society today, in the entertainment culture, right? The celebrity status that we ooh and ah over, and individuals that we ooh and ah over. Some seek it through drugs. Some seek it through experimentation in the occult. Some seek it in idolatrous, codependent relationships. Some seek this transcendent joy and delight in sports or sport figures or icons. Some seek it in nature. See, not all of these things are bad in themselves. But when we elevate these things that I mentioned, 
to godlike status, right? That was God created for us to enjoy, and instead of enjoying it, we worship it. It's become a god to us. And Jesus made it very clear that the Father, does he too, is seeking a certain type of worshiper, a certain type. We read these words in John 4, verses 23 and 24. Listen carefully. This is Jesus speaking now. He says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. True worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. God is seeking true worshipers of himself. That statement I just read, Jesus made it to a Samaritan woman at the well. She was a prostitute, a harlot, an idolater, one who would have clearly, clearly exchanged the truth for a lie, one who had spent a lifetime worshiping neither in spirit and in truth. But before we get too self-righteous here, the statement was made for us as well. If we're to be biblical worshipers, we need to worship in spirit and in truth. If we don't, you know what? We're no different than that harlot who prostituted herself or himself to false gods. So here's the question I want to look at in our time together. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? That's who God is seeking, those who are worship in spirit and truth. What does it mean? Well, first, to worship in spirit is the how we're to worship. To worship in truth is the whom, to whom, right, we are to worship. Let's start with whom we're to worship, what it means to worship in truth. We'll start there, and then we'll talk about what it means to worship in spirit. So here's the reality. We can delight all we want. We can raise our hands. We can dance. We can be exuberant. We can say hallelujah. We can be in ecstasy. But if we aren't worshiping in truth, you know what? We're not worshiping biblically. We're not worshiping the revealed God of the Bible. It's simple as that. So to worship in truth is to worship based on an accurate perception of God. It's to worship God as he has revealed himself in Scripture, as the Father, as the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as the Trinity, three persons in one. True worshipers are not ignorant worshipers, all right? We need the light of God's truth to inform us who God is and how we are to worship, all right? We need the light of God's word. If not, we're just worshiping in the dark. That's all we're doing. I love how the Bible puts it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
To worship in truth or light is thus to find satisfaction, to find joy, to find delight in Jesus Christ. The one who came to earth, who suffered on a cruel cross, who showed forth God's glory and to usher us into glory. If we're not worshiping God as revealed by the Father in the Son through the Spirit, we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. We're not worshiping God, all right? So true worship, to worship in truth, involves our minds, doesn't it? We've got to know God, right? We've got to know our Bibles. We've got to read and know about Him. That's worship in truth. We, need, we can't be ignorant. We have to use our minds and our intellect. It doesn't mean that you and I have to have complete knowledge of God. Because you know why? You know what? We're never going to have complete knowledge of God. No, it means that we must have an accurate view of God. Not complete, but accurate view of Him and how He wants us to worship Him. We're commanded to love God with all our hearts, right? Soul, strength. What's the last one, you know? And mind as well. In our mind as well. And I've found that the more I know God, the more I know of Him, you know what happens? The more I interact with Him, get to know Him, the more I love Him. That's kind of how it works in a lot of things, doesn't it, in life? I was thinking about that the other day, just uh, with my younger sons, in the video game Minecraft. Now, I've looked at Minecraft don't know much about it. I've looked at it. You know, it looks a little interesting. It looks pretty simple. I wouldn't say I love Minecraft, but then again, I have a pretty superficial knowledge of Minecraft. I don't really know the ins and outs, okay, of the game. For my youngest boys, it's a whole other story. They know Minecraft. They know the tools, and the more they know the tools of Minecraft, the more they know the worlds of Minecraft the more interested and engaged they get. And the more they interact with it, guess what happens? The more they love it and enjoy it and even sing about it. They even have Minecraft songs and videos. You know what I'm talking about? Don't mind at night? Yeah, right. It's outrageous. So the more you know, the is the more you love as well. And it's not that different with God either. The more we know about him, the more we interact with him, get into the Bible, his word, you know what? The more likely we are to actually love him, desire him, and to worship him. But I want to be a little careful here as well in what I'm communicating. Because worshiping is not simply knowing truth about God. It's more than that. Biblical worship involves our minds, knowing who God is, who you're revealed to be, oh yeah, it's, no, it's, it's in your mind. But it's also your heart. Remember? Soul and strength as well, as that silly Minecraft illustration showed. God is properly worshipped when we delight in Him, when we enjoy Him, Right? I'm not saying that when we worship, we got to be on cloud nine every time we worship or sing songs or serve him. It's not reality, is it? We don't always feel like we're on cloud nine when we worship him. 
We don't. That's, that's reality. That's humanity, isn't it? But what I'm saying that is, worshiping God is more than just a, a dry duty. You know, a thing, like I said earlier, we just will ourselves to do. It, it doesn't work that way. Worship involves, involves delighting and being satisfied in God. It involves needing Him and wanting Him. And I realize that that could be a stumbling block, maybe for some folks, for some people. You may say, well, isn't duty enough, you know? The fact that I come and I sing and I serve God, even though I don't feel like it, even though my heart isn't in it, I'm doing it for the Lord. Well, I love the illustration that uh, I've heard John Piper use several times. He actually has it in his book, this third chapter of Desiring God. He says this, Suppose on the day of his anniversary, he says, I bring home a dozen long-stemmed roses for Noel, Noel's his wife. When she meets me at the door, I hold out the roses, and she says, Oh, Johnny, they're beautiful. Thank you. And gives me a big hug. Then suppose I hold up my hand matter-of-factly. Say, don't mention it. It's just my duty. Dutiful roses are a contradiction in terms. If I'm not moved by a spontaneous affection for her as a person, the roses do not honor her. They belittle her. Catch that? What a wife wants is to be delighted in, to be enjoyed, to give that expression of the heart, not just simply give roses because, well, got to do it. It's your anniversary, it's your birthday, it's what you like. I did it, did my duty. There's no joy there is there. There's no joy received, taken in by the wife. No. It's an expression of the heart that makes it real and alive, that honors whoever it is you're honoring, giving those roses to or that gift to, whatever it may be. I think now we're getting to what it means to worship, not only in truth, but to worship in spirit as well. To worship in spirit is a matter of internal reality. What's happening here? It's not just about the externals, all right? It's a matter of the heart. Worship that is freed from any certain location or external act. See, worship in the heart, that can take place anytime, anywhere. It has many expressions and infinite locations. What's most important is the posture of our heart when we're worshiping God. God is not concerned with us just kind of going through the motions. God's not impressed with that, all right? He wants to engage our heart, and that includes our emotions. He wants our heart wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Jesus makes this very clear in his stinging rebuke to the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 8 and 9. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah here. In other words, this has been a problem for a long time, and he's addressing the Pharisees. And he says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Listen to this last line. In vain do they worship me. In other words, these people, yeah, they're doing all the right things. They're going through the motions. Oh, they're honoring me with their lips. They're saying the right things. But their heart is distant. I don't have their heart. 
And thus he says, in vain do they worship me. In other words, this isn't worship. It may look like worship to your eyes. They may be doing the right thing, saying the right words. But God doesn't look at the outside alone. He looks what? At the heart. Doesn't he as well? God wants our heart. This is where we desperately need the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who, who quickens our spirits. If the greatness of God is the fuel of our worship, you know what? The Holy Spirit is the one who ignites that fuel. The Holy Spirit is the fuel, excuse me, is the flame that ignites our worship. So we can worship not only in spirit, excuse me, in truth, but also in spirit as well. So let's put it all together. As we study God's word, we learn to look back on what God has done through Christ for us. We learn to look forward to God's promises, what he has for each and every one who's in Christ Jesus. And as we look at those things, as we look back, as we look forward, our hearts are filled with gratitude and hope for what lies in the future. And God engages us, our hearts and emotion as well. But this ignition the Holy Spirit does, you know what? It doesn't come from simply looking at ourselves, even just simply how much God loves us. That's true. He does. It's not wrong to consider that. That is good. But it comes from looking at God, gazing at Him, knowing who He is and His Word. It's why you come to church, you come to a Sunday service, and we're talking about the gospel. And hopefully by now you've heard it a lot of times, and you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Why do we keep talking about it? Why do we keep rehearsing the gospel? Why do we keep singing these songs about the cross over and over and over again? Each and every week, we're doing it to remind ourselves of what we have in Christ, to engage not only our minds, but our hearts as well. The Spirit uses the Word. He illumines the Word in Christ to us in a way that we can understand and we can feel and we can experience Him. It's not just light that we need, the truth. We need heat as well, our passion for God. But here's the kicker in all this. Can you just produce passion on your own? Not really. I can't, not on my own. I can't produce heat or passion. But when we come to God through his word, you know what? And we desire to follow Christ. We desire to follow him. You know what happens? God is pleased to ignite our heart and to engage us as well. To give us not only light, but heat and passion in a way that we can say like the psalmist. Just read the psalms. So many psalms that declare God's praises. I'll give you one from Psalm 96. The psalmist says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. That's delighting in God. That's worshiping him. And that's good. There's another reality. We don't want to always start there. We don't always feel like doing that, do we? We can read the words, but your heart's not there. We don't really feel it. I understand that. 
Maybe you're here tonight hearing me talk, and you know, or maybe it's on a Sunday, you come on a Sunday, and you know what? Just feel, just feel dull. You feel kind of distracted. Not really sure what the excitement's about. Or you come and you kind of come on a Sunday or even like tonight, and you just kind of feel guilty. You know, it hasn't been a good week. <laughs> you know, you've been a little rebel, whether it be to your parents or to God. And you're riddled with guilt. How can I worship now? I don't even feel it. How can I get up here and stand and sing songs or do things unto the Lord? I just feel dull. That's where we begin. Where we begin? We begin just confessing how we feel, confessing our known sin to God. We come to Him and say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need to change me from the inside out. And we're going to sing some songs tonight at the end, and we're going to do that. The songs are purposely chosen, even with the sequence. We're coming to God first and just say, Lord, I come to you before your throne for forgiveness. And I come to you. I, I want you. And we're going to talk, sing about, Lord, change me from the inside out. That I would want you and desire you. If that's kind of you tonight. You're here. And, you know, you're kind of going through the motions. Maybe there's some of you here as well. Yeah, you, you want to feel this joy that I'm talking about? You've even said, you know, Corey, I've experienced it before. I know what you're talking about. It's not like I haven't experienced it before, but you know what? It's been a long time. And that, that taste of that joy, being excited, you know, maybe you had it at a live conference. Maybe it was this summer. Maybe it was like a year ago at a live conference. And like that feeling just faded, man. It's gone. It's like vapor. So I've, I've tasted it. I've experienced it. Those moments where God is near and I wanted to worship him. I was on my knees. I was crying. I wasn't trying to cry, but I didn't know what was happening. I was crying. I actually was thinking, raising my hand a little bit. I didn't know what that was all about. It was really exciting, you know? But that's gone. It's a distant memory. You know what? Maybe tonight he wants to reignite your heart as we sing truth about who he is. See, it's not like hypocritical to come to God and say, God, I, I long for you. I, I'm not really experiencing you right now. You seem pretty distant, God. You're kind of far away to me right now, but I want you. I want to experience you. It's not hypocritical. No more is it hypocritical to come to a water fountain thirsty. That's why you go to a water fountain, because you thirst. You hypocrite, how can you come to the water fountain? You're, you're thirsty. You're not filled up with water. You need water. How do you come? Well, of course, that's why you're coming to the water fountain, because you want water. You're thirsty. So if you're here and saying, you know what? I'm thirsty. Well, good. Worship the Lord. You're longing for him, and he is honored, and you asking. And he wants to meet you. And some of you, you know, you're ready to go. There's just that worship that's exuberant, you know? You're just, like, overflowing with worship. Like, it just comes out. It's just like, there is joy in your heart. That may not be where you are, but it's where we want to be, isn't it? You know what else? It's where we, we will be one day in heaven. Delighting in God. It's giving him the glory, giving him the honor he rightly deserves. That's the essence of worship. We were made to worship. We were. We were made to seek delight, to seek joy and glory, but to seek it in God, the God of the Bible. If you're not experiencing that joy and 
that pleasure? Are you wondering why I keep mentioning all this joy stuff and delighting stuff? May it be not because you want joy too much, but you want it not enough. In other words, you're willing to settle for these little pitiful, puny joys of life. You're looking forward in hobbies and games and music or social media or just that exclusive relationship and you're looking for joy there. Clothing, whatever it may be. You're looking anywhere but God. That's you. That could be me at times. You know what? You're too far too easily pleased. No. Oh, there's so much more awaiting you. This is a kind of final quote from John Piper in his chapter. It says this, You have capacities for joy which you can scarcely imagine. You do. They were made for the enjoyment of God. He can awaken them no matter how long they have lain asleep. Pray for this quickening power. Open your eyes to his glory. It's all around you. That's really our prayer tonight. Everyone who's up here tonight, just a moment, is going to be leading you in a worship through song. Our prayers that God would do that. Just a little quickening tonight in your heart, in your spirit. That you'd want him, that you'd want to know what it is to delight in him, to take joy in God, in someone bigger and greater than you. The very one that you were made for. So may God do that in your hearts tonight and in my heart. So AJ and the team, why don't you come on up here? And we're going to take some time here. Instead of going into discussion, we want to experience the things that we've talked about tonight. All right? We want to come to God. Maybe it's just, Lord, help me. I don't really know what this guy's talking about, but I want to experience it. Maybe I want to experience it again. Maybe say, Lord, I just want I want to worship you now. Let's do it. So focus our mind on the words that God engage our hearts as well.